I have no doubts that each and every one of us at some point in life has been compared to other family members. It begins very early in our lives with physical comparisons. When a, a, a new family member is born, what do other people say? Oh, he's got his dad's eyes, hasn't he? Or he's got his mum's chin there. And then as we grow older, it develops into characteristics, behaviours and characteristics that we, we display in the person that we are. Oh, he's got his dad in him, he has, hasn't he? Oh, just like a mother, she is. I'm not going to ask you to look around the room and do an exercise in comparison this morning, but just for a minute, just think about yourself. Think about your immediate family. Think about friends that you know and their families. What characteristics do you see in yourself or in other people that are similar to those who are close family members? I look at my wife. I see an awful lot of my mother-in-law, which is a good thing in my case because I quite like my mother-in-law. But I guess you can do the same, can't you? I, I like her a lot, a lot. <laughs> and this is what I want you to keep in mind for the rest of the morning. I want you to keep in mind this little phrase that's going to appear on the screen. I see in you. I see in you. You. you know, Jesus was a master of seeing attributes in those that he met. We come to Nathaniel this morning, and Nathaniel is not mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels. So the other three Gospels do not mention Nathaniel at all. In those Gospels, the name Bartholomew always follows Philip in the list of disciples. Yet here in John, when there's a list of disciples, Bartholomew is not mentioned, but the name Nathaniel follows Philip. And so most scholars actually believe that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same persons. And our first perceptions here of Nathaniel is that he's quite a skeptic. When Nathaniel's told by Philip, that they have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What's his response? Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Living in Birmingham, whenever I engage in conversations with people often, they will immediately pick up that I'm not from around these places. And they immediately say to me, so where are you from then? They insult me straight away by thinking I'm from Lancashire for some unknown reason. And I quickly correct them. I tell them I'm from Hull. And do you know what? I've not had one person respond to me and say, wow, that's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> the response is always, oh, okay. What do you mean, oh, okay? I understand, and I guess that that is exactly the same for people around these parts as well. I'm guessing if you tell people you're from Dudley, people don't go into rapturous cartwheels about it, thinking what an exciting place. And this is exactly what Nathaniel is doing here. The very mention of the place from which Jesus is from gives this sceptical 
response. And do you know what? It's understandable because at the time, in those times of Jesus, Nazareth was an obscure little hill town. It wasn't very big. It was remote. It was of no consequence at all. It wasn't sophisticated. It wasn't glamorous. It was quite the opposite. It wasn't the place you would expect the Messiah to come from. Nathaniel was actually from a different Galilean village. He was from Cana. So you're picking up a little bit of rivalry here as well. And he clearly didn't like Nazareth. So suggest that the, the, the Messiah might come from this town. How ridiculous. That's like saying the Messiah will come from Holt. Not going to happen in a million years. And yet, from this response, Jesus sees something in him. What does Jesus reply to Nathaniel? Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false, is what he says in verse 47. Now you think if somebody said that to you, that's quite a nice little pat on the back, isn't it? Hey, here is a man, Jesus says, in whom there is nothing false. I'd be quite pleased if somebody said that about me. And yet Nathaniel seems to view everything in life through a critical lens. And he seems very suspicious. This is his response. How do you know me, he says. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say that. His immediate response is, how do you know me? The shackles are up. There's this critical response coming out from him. And Jesus responds, I saw you under a fig tree before Philip called you. It's very interesting to know about the fig tree. He wasn't there, probably there just to collect figs that had fallen from the tree. The fig tree in biblical times was always traditionally denoted as a place where rabbis would study the Torah. So for Jesus to say, I saw you under the fig tree, was recognizing in Nathaniel his scholarly attributes. Was Nathaniel a rabbi? Was he a student of the law? If so, well, Nathaniel's response that follows is quite astounding because in a very short period where they're conversing over just a few sentences, Nathaniel's response to Jesus is to declare Jesus the Son of God and the King of Israel. Wow! What a change in his view. What a change in his opinion. And doesn't it just show how our personal prejudices can skew our judgment. Nathaniel came at Jesus with prejudice. He didn't like Nazareth. He had this critical lens. It screwed his initial judgment. And yet through a little quick conversation, it changed. I do think we're just as bad, you know. In our world, our personal prejudice skews our judgment how quick we are to make a judgment on people just because where they come from or who we deem they are we don't recognize all they can be we don't see in them who they really are Stephen Holgren uh, an academic in Australia said, says this in a book I was reading recently 
Needless to say, there are many skeptics today. There are also people who find Jesus an interesting person. I may even privately admire him, but who still reject Christian faith in its entirety. How can the church convince today's skeptics? In some cases, people have been blinded by their preconceptions about the church, just as Nathaniel was blinded by his preconceptions about Nazareth. What they have heard or seen about the church from a distance convinces them that the church is a bad thing. And sometimes these preconceptions are unfair. People prejudge the church without actually getting to know it. But the church must also ask itself whether it has failed to offer people reasons why they should come and see. Does the church thoughtfully offer people a coherent vision for life? Or does it just offer a mixture of entertainment, pop psychology and superficial spirituality that satisfies in the short term but leaves people empty when the difficult questions and problems of life arise? And here was the paragraph for me. If we are convinced that Christian faith holds the truth about human life, then we must, in all earnestness, show people how that truth makes sense and is embodied in our own lives, both as individuals and as communities. Let me just say that again. We must show people how that truth makes sense and is embodied in our own lives. A few minutes ago, I asked you to keep in mind this phrase this morning, I see in you. Jesus saw something in Nathanael. And it wasn't just a man in whom there was nothing false. Jesus looked at Nathanael and he saw all the attributes of a disciple, somebody who could be a follower. But more than that, he saw all the attributes of an apostle, somebody who could be sent to do Jesus's work. You know, I started off by saying we often see in people family attributes and characteristics. And we're quick to point that out to people. Oh, I can see his eyes in you. Oh, I can see that's your dad in you. But what else do we see in others? Derwin Gray observes this. The best leaders look into the soul of a person and say... I see what you could be, and my role is to bring that out of you. Well, isn't that the job of everybody? It's not just the job of leaders. For us all to look into the soul of everybody in the room and say, I see what you could be. And actually, I want to be party to bringing that out of you. Can't we all do that? I see in you. Can't we all do that? I wonder when the last time was that you actually said to somebody, I see this ability in you. It's a good job somebody in musical editorial said to a young man from Zimbabwe, I see this ability in you. 
We're going to nurture you to write band music. When was the last time you said to somebody else, I see this ability in you. Be encouraged. Or how about, I see this gift in you. Do you know what? You've got this wonderful gift to do this. Or how about, I see God at work in you when you do this or you say this or when you are. There's a challenge for you this week, friends. A challenge for me as well. How about we do a little bit more of I can see in you this, this week. Wouldn't it be great if you could tell somebody this week, I see this in you. Good on you. Good on you. Do you know, I look around this room and I see so much potential for Christ. I see so much ability to do. I see so much ability to do functional roles in this church. Roles that maybe aren't being met at the minute. But I also see other abilities to be whole life disciples who are living the life of Jesus where they are and sharing their story. You know, when Jesus called his 12 followers, he gave his authority to them. That's what he was doing. It wasn't just a case of, come on then, tag along, mate. He didn't just call Nathaniel to tag along. He called him and gave him authority. He gave him permission to be, to do. He said to him, you go, you do. How many times in the Gospels do we read of a situation where the answer to the problem is not Jesus saying, I'll do that. It's more Jesus saying to the people around him, you do, or you go. Because that's what Jesus does. He saw something in them. The life he wanted to give them, he wanted them to embody in their lives by doing. He could see what God could do through them, and he gave them permission to be that person. Do you know, I find this time of year quite challenging. From about October onwards, our inbox starts getting hit with lots of kind offers to volunteer with the Salvation Army. Last week, I probably had five or six people writing in from outside saying, I'd like to volunteer to help you. Tends to happen at this time, especially as we're entering the Christmas period. And we get so many offers of help that I can't use everybody that offers. And I find myself having to respond to an email and say, thank you so much for your kind offer, but no thanks. We want our volunteering experiences to be good. We want people to have something to do, not just come and twiddle their thumbs. So we actually have to limit the people that we can use who volunteer with us. But do you know what? Rather than say, no, thanks, we've got what, I need, what we need, I would love to be able to say, yes, yes, please, we'd like you to do. And I find it quite frustrating. Why? Because I believe there's power in the word yes. You see, the word yes allows people to discover the dream that God has for each of their life and allows them to reach their potential. 
If you've made an offer to somebody and you want to do something because you feel you're led to do it, what do you want to hear? You want to hear them say, yes, do it. You don't want to hear, no thanks. David Ferguson, in one of his books, says, the practice of permission giving is a shift from seeing what God can do through me to seeing what God can do through others. And you know what? To say yes doesn't mean we support anything unconditionally. You've come up with an idea this week and you come and knock on my door and tell me what your idea is. Doesn't mean you're going to get an answer yes if you want to spend £200,000 on something or whatever. No, you won't be getting an answer yes. But actually the word yes doesn't mean that we support ideas unconditionally. It means we give others permission and a blessing to be used in Jesus' mission. Friends, I want to say yes to you today. I want to say yes to you. I want to say yes to you. I want to give you permission to be used and blessed in Jesus' mission. To say yes means I see something in you and I am for you. We say yes to Maria because we see something in here and we're for her. But we don't just say it to Maria, we say it to every young person who's running around in our church and we're grateful for them. We say it to every adult in this room. Do you know what? More often than not, we actually need to give ourselves a bit of permission as well. Because half the time when we are stopped from doing something, it's not because somebody else is stopping us, it's because we stop ourselves. We refuse to give ourselves permission. You know, just because we start in a certain way doesn't mean we have to end in that way. We can change life. We can reposition ourselves. We can change our relationships. We can change our ministry. We can change the way we do business. We can tweak whatever we want. We have permission to change and grow. You'll learn as much from your failures as you do your successes. I believe every one of us can reposition ourselves and change how our story ends today. Every one of us. God says to each and every one of us this phrase, I see in you. He said it to Nathaniel through Jesus. He says it to you and me. What does God see in you? What does God see in you? God says to each of us, I see in you. And the big question is, do you see it in yourself? Do you actually see it in yourself? Jesus saw something in Nathaniel, and the, as a result, very quickly, Nathaniel went on to see God in Christ. Church tradition has it that Nathaniel carried a translation of Matthew's gospel to northern India. Legend has it that he was crucified upside down in Albania. Now Nathaniel accepted Jesus' call. Nathaniel recognised that Jesus saw something in him. He became a disciple. He became a missionary. He witnessed the crucifixion and ascension 
and he went on to spread the gospel. All because Jesus saw something in him. God says to each of us today, I see in you. What does God see? And do you see it in yourself? Because what I see is a whole lot of potential. When I think of that simple phrase, I see in you, it reminds me that actually I want in my life God to be seen. And so as we come to the end of our meeting, I want you to just think on that little phrase. I want you to think of what God sees in you. I want you to think of what you see in yourself. I want you to think of what you see in all the people around you. I want you to think of who you can encourage by saying this week, I see in you this, this, and this. But what do you see in yourself this morning? There's an old little chorus from the 70s that we don't tend to sing much very often anymore. But it simply says, in my life, glory, Lord, be glorified. It's a simple, simple prayer. Because what I want to see in me is that Jesus be seen in me. And what I want to see in his church is that Jesus be seen in all of us. All of us doing what God wants us to do and sees in us that we can do. This morning, let's just take a few quiet moments at the end as we sing to just ask that simple question. I see in you. What does God see in me? What do I see in me? And as we do, let's just sing and answer our prayers in song. Place of prayer is always open. You know it is. It might be that today, actually, you might just need to give yourself permission and you can do that better just by praying on your knees here. But let's sing together. And as we do, what does God see in you? on playing for us let's just close our eyes two questions two things to think about what does God see in you 
And what do you see in the people around you? Make them your prayers today. again in my life Lord be glorified Father God, we thank you that you look at us and you see something in each and every one of us. You did that from the moment you made us, from the moment that you knit us together, from the moment our ancestors failed you over and over again. You didn't give up on us, but you saw something in us that was worth redeeming, who you wanted to love, and you wanted to empower and gift and so today, Lord, help us to just see in ourselves the person that you see. Help us to recognize the gifts that you've given us, the potential that we have. Help us to give ourselves permission to be the person that you have made. And as we look around the room, Lord, may we not see prejudiced. May we see all the wonderful things that you've created in those who walk with us. And this week, as we go out our business, may we engage in a ministry of encouragement by saying and encouraging others by telling them that in them we see certain beautiful attributes. Lord, if we are to convince the world that our faith holds the truth about human life, then help us to show people how this makes sense and is embodied in our lives. So in our life, Lord, may you be glorified in everything that you do. I see in you the great God, the one who loves, the one who cares, the one who walks, the one who empowers. Come with us always, Lord. Amen.